Welcome to Mincast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 415, recorded on Sunday, June 25th, 2023. Back from the swamps, I'm Joe. Getting rained on, I'm Moss. Keeping cool, I'm Majid. So first up in the news, Mint 21.2 betas have been released, Debian 13 gets a name, Ardor does remaps, RHEL goes closed source, Opera 1 ships, security and privacy, Tsunami comes to SSH, then in our wanderings, Joe goes on a little trip, Moss does musical stuff, and Majid has toys. So on to the news. So the Mint 21.2 betas have been released. Uh, this is from the Linux Mint uh, blog via Londoner. As of June 21, the DBT images for all three desktop environments of 21.2 uh, Victoria have been officially released. If you want to try these out, be sure to read the relevant release notes, especially if you have issues with secure boot or with an out of memory error appearing immediately after the grub menu. Release notes are also linked in the above announcements. So that's the Cinnamon, Mate, and XFCE. Anybody uh, already jumped on this yet? Nope. I'm allergic to betas. Yeah, I don't do a lot with the betas. I like stability. If you... Because it's not far off from release, is it now? It's only going to be, what, a couple of weeks away. So do they not do, like, uh, feature freezes and stuff like that with the betas? Yeah, it's probably pretty stable, but um, until it comes out on the actual, like, release update i'm not gonna do it because i have with um ubuntu uh versions in the past um got the release candidate or got the beta and it's you know basically been fine um i suppose maybe i'm just been lucky i suppose anywho some debian news well debian 13 gets a name and this is from omg linux um, Londoner provided it for us, uh, with Debian 12 released and well-received attention turns to its successor, Debian 13. And we already know a few tantalizing details about it. First up, its codename. Debian releases are named after characters from the animated Toy Story film series. The most recent release being Bookworm, a character in Toy Story 3. The previous being Bullseye, Toy Story 2, and so on. All the way back to 1996's Debian 1.1. Buzz Lightyear. Which character will Debian 13 be fronted by? Trixie, a blue triceratops introduced in Toy Story 3 who later starred in an off-Christmas special called Toy Story That Time Forgot. On to more prosaic matters, Debian's Jonathan Wiltshire has revealed that Debian 13 will likely include an official port of RISC-V devices, albeit one subject to architecture qualification during a later stage of the Trixie development cycle. Momentum behind this open source architecture continues to mount, and with Debian being a flagship Linux distro, its support for the platform is a major coup. Not that the effort is starting from scratch. Debian for RISC-V 64-bit is already a thing, and Wiltshire notes the effort is making good progress. 
By the time of Debian 13 release in 2025, RISC-V hardware will, one hopes, be easier to come by, thus allowing more community developers to take part in <clears throat> bringing it up. Exciting stuff. Okay, um, if you guys don't have anything to say, I'll move on to the next one. Ardor 7.5 remaps, tempo maps, editing, and more. Ardor 7.5 has been released as yet another update to this popular, free, powerful, and open source digital audio workstation for GNU, Linux, Mac OS, and Windows systems. Coming two months after Ardor 7.4, the Ardor 7.5 release is here to introduce mapping tempo to real performance, a feature that will allow sound engineers to create tempo map nodes and easily adjust their positions to match onsets in their recordings. Uh, the tempo mapping mode can also be used by default. Another new feature in Ardor 7.5 is the ability to save and restore I.O. connections per device when switching back and forth between multiple locations and audio interfaces, um, such as between Alsa and Pulse Audio and Linux. Moreover, Ardor 7.5 introduces the ability to rename loaded plugins in the processor box. This release also makes it possible to automatically activate supported control services once they're connected to USB MIDI ports. This feature currently works with the Ableton Push 2, PreSonos Fader Port 8, PreSonos Fader Port 16, SoftTube Console 1, and Contour Design Shuttle controllers. While Ardour 7.4 introduced sections to mark a range as a course and paste its entire contents and automation elsewhere, Ardour 7.5 improves this feature by adding some editor commands like cutting and pasting, copying and pasting, deleting and inserting. Among other noteworthy changes, Ardour 7.5 improves support for the Ableton Push 2 controller by adding the ability to send modulation messages instead of pitch bend by holding down shift while using the touch strip. Add support for Roland Sonicell mid-nom files and makes the dummy backend a real-time option. Moreover, this release makes several non-editor commands undoable. Adds a progress display to session archiving, makes playlist rendering of non-overlapping MIDI regions and duplication of multiple regions faster. Adds support for subgroup buses for MIDI tracks and optimizes delay lines to support multiple MIDI buffers. The playhead has been improved as well in Ardor 7.5 to make it insensitive to mouse events by default and to allow you to use it as a snapping target. Of course, various bugs were addressed in this release to make your Ardor experience more stable and reliable. For more details, check out the release notes page on the official website. From where you can also download Ardor 7.5 as a source tarball if you want to manually compile it on your GNU Linux distribution. Otherwise, you can install it as a Flatpak app from Flathub. So as someone who doesn't do a huge amount with audio, uh, most of that wasn't relevant to me. But Joe, you do a bit, don't you? Well, oh, with audio editing? Yeah. A bit, but I, I i mean, I just use Audacity instead of Ardor. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into Ardor. A lot of my music recording would be easier to use if I could do multiple tracks uh, without just doing one track and then doing another track. Good stuff. Good stuff. Moving on. Red Hat now limited RHEL sources to CentOS Stream. Red Hat announced today that CentOS Stream will be the sole repository for public RHEL-related source code releases. 
In a move likely to alienate some Linux community users and developers, and yes, it has, Red Hat has decided CentOS Stream will be the sole repository for public Red Hat Enterprise Linux-related source code. Paying Red Hat customers will still have access to the proper RHEL sources via the Red Hat customer portal. By limiting the RHEL public sources to CentOS Stream, it will now be more difficult for community-slash-offshoot enterprise Linux distributions like Alma Linux, Rocky Linux, Oracle Linux, etc. to provide one-to-one binary compatible builds against given RHEL releases. Red Hat wrote today in a blog post, As the CentOS Stream community grows and the enterprise software world tackles new dynamics, we want to sharpen our focus on CentOS Stream as the backbone of enterprise Linux innovation. We are continuing our investment in and increasing our commitment to CentOS Stream. CentOS Stream will now be the sole repository for public RHEL-related source code releases. For Red Hat customers and partners, source code will will remain available via the Red Hat customer portal. To be clear, this change does not signify any changes to the CentOS project, CentOS Stream, or source availability for CentOS Stream or CentOS SIGs. This is another move following the prior CentOS shakeup that will rattle some in the open source world, with Red Hat continuing to shift greater focus on CentOS Stream as the upstream RHEL and catering RHEL more explicitly... That didn't work right. Uh... This is another move following the prior CentOS shakeup that will rattle some of the open source world, with Red Hat continuing to shift greater focus on CentOS Stream as the upstream RHEL and catering RHEL more explicitly towards their paying customers. Meanwhile, Red Hat engineers are also working on CentOS Stream 10 getting underway as the basis toward the future Red Hat Enterprise Linux 10. So is all the hate justified? There's a lot of stuff around on, on the internet. You know, um, you know, Red Hat has gone closed source. They've just made, they've just become proprietary. Is that hyperbole or is that actually accurate? I think IBM wants to limit all these uh, cast off things like Alma, that all they do is remove Red Hat from everywhere in the code and, and call it theirs. I can see that, but that does make it much less of an open source project. And also, what kind of um, effect is this going to have on Fedora? You know, Fedora is often seen as the <laughs> open source, uh, you know, cutting edge where they try all their things. And then if it's good, it then ends up in RHEL. Um, yeah, so as, as someone who doesn't use uh, that side of Linux that much, um, I'm not entirely sure how massive this is going to be. Um, I mean, you guys deal with servers a bit more. Um, is this a massive change? Well, Joe doesn't. I don't know what a server is. (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding? (laughs) Sorry, I'm busy researching why my computer is running horribly, and it turns out it's an issue with Firefox. It's always no, say it ain't so, Joe. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely an issue with Firefox um, and, and Isolate Plus, and it's why like the audio that I'm getting sounds choppy, and the audio that I'm outputting sounds choppy. But there there's like nothing we can do about it right now because Firefox is running the the stream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Firefox. It's always reboot. We'll wait for you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Firefox is that <laughs> thing, isn't it? Of uh, it, it's like it's not. I it's like I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, this Isn't latest update, evidently uh, Firefox's site isolation feature, it's listed as Isolate Plus in uh, top, and it is just 
wrecking everything. It's I've seen it go up to like 101% CPU usage, and the amount of virtual memory that it's using is just nuts. And so, yeah, that, that is where all the stuttering and everything is coming from. And yeah, I did not know that before the stream. Mm. But no, I had uh, seen a, a video on, on Red Hat switching to um, CentOS stream. And it's going to cause some issues and some slowdowns with um, a, a lot of people that are making one-to-one copies of um red hat because the only people that have access to the newest red hat source code now will be people that pay for it because you know ibm wasn't going to make any changes and wasn't going to you know start closed sourcing red hat at all <clears throat> so yeah I, I do see where the issues are coming from on this okay well let's see how it all uh shakes out eh? oh okay so now shipping opera one first browser with AI. So I remember putting this into a, a news section maybe about a month or two ago um, about the developer version. Well, Opera 1, the latest incarnation of the Opera browser, browser is now out of testing and development and is ready for download. What would have been the 100th version of Opera now marks the beginning of a new evolution cycle for the Norwegian browser company's flagship product. Hmm. Norwegian... Mm, okay. If, yeah, I, I didn't know that Shanghai was in Norway, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> redesigned from the ground up to usher in a new era of AI-based browsing, Opera One is the first browser to come with an integrated uh, browser AI, ARIA. ARIA can be reached via a new command line as well as the browser sidebar. Offers free access to a leading GPT-based solution with updated information from the web. Since earlier this year, Opera has been making bold moves in the generative AI space in order to provide its users with a reimagined browsing experience that boosts their productivity and creativity through various ways of interacting with the with browser AI. That is the most management and public relations paragraph I read in a while. Anyway, as people who obsess over browser innovation, we saw fit to rethink the role of the browser in light of recent developments in the AI space. As opposed to other browser companies, Opera didn't simply add AI services to its browser. We went back to the drawing board and redesigned our flagship browser. Opera One is built around ARIA, our native browser AI, and is the combination of our work so far, said Joanna uh, Shaker, uh, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, product director at Opera. ARIA, Opera's new browser AI, is a key component of Opera One and the first Opera feature that named itself. Okay echoes of Skynet. With ARIA, uh, Opera One users are getting access to leading generative AI service for free. Yeah, okay. The service is a result of Opera's collaboration with OpenAI, but with expanded capabilities. Whenever anything's for free, realize you're the customer. No, sorry, you're the product. Based on Opera's own Composer AI engine, ARIA connects to OpenAI's GPT and is enhanced by additional cap capabilities, such as adding live results from the web, ARIA is both a web and browser expert that allows users to collaborate with AI while looking for information on the web, generating text or code, or getting their product queries answered. When it comes to customer support, ARIA is knowledgeable about Opera's entire database of support documentation and uses the company's current product knowledge to answer users' questions. Opera One users are also getting a brand new command line that allows them to use the control and super key or command and uh, keyboard shortcut 
I assume on Mac, to uh, display an overlay and interact with ARIA. Whenever a question comes to mind, they can use the command line to ask ARIA a question and either interact with browsers with the browser's AI response immediately in the sidebar or go back to browsing. ARIA also makes use of AI prompts features Opera introduced earlier this year in early access. Following user feedback and extensive testing, the ability to get contextual prompts by right-clicking or highlighting text in the browser is now plugged into ARIA as well. Acknowledging the popularity of ChatGPT, Opera One also offers users access to the popular service in the browser sidebar. And as opposed to other browser solutions, the AI in Opera is a user-controlled experience, which means users can choose to opt into AI services or not to engage with them. To use ARIA, they have to open up the browser AI in the sidebar and log in or sign up for a free Opera account if they don't already have one. Key element of Opera One is tab islands. Uh, yes, I remember this from when I used it. And the way that they change how the browser's tabs behave. Tabs are a fundamental part of browsing, but the standard way of interacting with them hasn't evolved much since the early days of the web and no longer corresponds to the richness of the internet and the countless ways we utilize it. For example, researchers have found that the existing tab design in browsers makes it difficult between sets of tasks. Moreover, according to Opera's own research, the majority of people feel overwhelmed by how messy their tabs get and wish web browsers would do more to help them manage this. Okay. Opera One's Tab Islands addresses this challenge. Tab Islands are a new way of keeping related tabs together in an intuitive way based on context without forcing users to change their habits or even give it a thought. Users gain flexibility in interacting with their tabs. They can keep different browsing contexts separate, move tabs around, collapse islands to make them small and come back to them later, or save them in bookmarks or pinboards. When a user, uh, user creates a trip, trip itinerary and researches hotels and routes, the tabs open in that context will stay together in a dedicated tab island. Or maybe they have a bunch of Google Docs they use for work. They too will automatically get a tab island of their own. As they browse and more tab islands are created, Opera One users can easily distinguish the topics they're focusing on, focusing on and switch between them. Okay, I have quite a few thoughts here, as you might have guessed by my already interjection into the news. So, first of all, Opera is something that I've used once uh, uh, on and off uh, over the years. Um, they have made some nice solutions. Uh, I quite liked their Opera Touch on the uh, on mobile, and I actually uh, started using this Opera One developer uh, version of it, and um, it was nice. It worked quite well. I don't think that I have enough tabs open for the tab islands and the contextual grouping of them to be relevant for my use. But I know, for example, I have a, a friend who does a lot of research and he's always telling me about how he's got 300 tabs open or something like that. And um, I mean, fundamentally, I think there's a problem if you've got 300 tabs open, but I mean, let's just buy the buy. Um, I mean, it, it even, it, it affects his uh, computer choices. We've been talking about, he's been thinking of getting a new laptop and we've been talking about it. And he's like, oh, I want, uh, I need 16 gig as a bare minimum. I, I'd like 32 gig. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing that you require 32 gigs? You know, um, general you know, web you... browsing anymore. Well, that's, that, and that's pretty much what he said. He said, oh, cause, cause I, have, cause I have all these tabs open and I'm like, well, there's other ways to use manage browser. that. Yeah, yeah, no, I but, mean, but, yeah, but maybe you should use a browser which isn't as resource uh, hungry as, say, Chrome. I think he's a Chrome well, user. Well, no, 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 because Chrome has added this feature that if you're not actively looking at a um, window, then it will close that window. Well, in the background, it will stop providing resources to that window, 
until you yeah. click on it again. So yeah. and then it'll yeah, have like to reload it. it, it but. I mean, it's like inactive tabs in Firefox, for example. Yeah, yeah, exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. Um, or make a so, suggestion that he start using something like OneTab, which will break all those tabs down in, into a list so that he can go back to them as needed. So, so, so that's my first thought that, yeah, maybe it is good for someone who has a ridiculous number of tabs open. My theory that AI is the new buzzword and that it's going to get thrown around with everything, you can just see it in this news article. You know, they've made their own uh, AI uh, assistant, you know, a Siri or a Bard or whatever. Um, I mean, it's basically just based on open AI and chat GPT. So, I mean, I suppose well, anybody so. can make their own AI think now, I suppose. Um, you know, Bing have already started. Um, so it's probably not surprising that other people are getting in on it. Um, how useful is it going to be? It seems a bit of a gimmick, to be honest. When I was using... Well, first, like, you couldn't use it much without making an account. And I didn't really want to make another account and something. Oh. Um, and even then, it wasn't fantastic. But then I suppose it's one of these things that, you know, it learns the more you use it. And so, therefore, it becomes yeah. better over time time just remember um, ai right now is the worst it's ever going to be it's only going to get better from here yeah that's true um but yeah there's that um the other thing that and and this is probably just me being a bit slow on the uptake was i knew that opera had been uh taken over by a chinese company hence my thinking about oh, the norwegian browser not really um and there was a uh, video that I saw uh, by Nick of my Linux experiment, where he's looking at the different browsers and pr the privacy implications of different browsers. And I was shocked as to how uh, bad uh, Opera came out in that. I mean, he wasn't the one doing the actual specific testing. He was linking from, I'll have to check where he was linking from. Uh, but there was like a, a website which was going through and looking at all the se separate aspects, you know, like fingerprinting and tracking and all that sort of stuff. And after that, I was literally like, I need to get rid of Opera on all of my devices. <laughs> you know, um, it does sound a bit dodgy. Um, maybe it's a bit of paranoia. I don't know. But AI taking in all the information linked to the Chinese government in some in a more direct way than other things are. Um, when you could use a myriad of other things, you know, at least if uh, uh, Chrome or Microsoft are taking all your data, they're doing it because they want to sell you stuff um, and, you know, make money out of you, which means that they actually have to treat the user a little bit better because they actually but want you, you to use their product. But you see all of the U.S. and many other countries' uh, debt is held by China. And well, so yeah. there is this, yeah. all the citizens are collateral for that, and China has to keep track of their collateral. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I suppose it all makes sense in some way, shape, or Just form. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're doesn't not mean trying they're not to get you. To you. <laughs> yeah. Damn right, mate. Damn right. Okay, then. Fine. Uh, so if anybody's got any other uh uh, borderline political uh, comments to make. Uh, we will move on to security and privacy.
So, insecurity and privacy. We have uh, none. <laughs> yeah, we have no security. We have no privacy. Um, hackers infect Linux SSH servers with Tsunami botnet malware. So apparently an unknown threat actor is brute forcing Linux SSH servers to install a wide range of malware, including the Tsunami DDoS distribution denial of service bot, shell bot, lock cleaners, privilege escalation tools, and an XM rig Monero coin miner. Ooh, I forgot, I've forgotten when Monero existed. It's been such a while since I looked into that. Uh, I used to try and mine Monero on my phone. Anyway, um, SSH, so that's the secure socket shell, is an encrypt encrypted network communication protocol for logging to remote machines, supporting tunneling, TCP port forwarding, file transfers, etc. And we'll be talking a bit about that in a bit as well. Um, network administrators typically use SSH to manage Linux devices remotely, performing tasks such as running commands, changing configs, updating software, troubleshooting, etc. However, if these servers are poorly, uh, poorly unsecured, if you're poorly unsecured, does that mean you're well secured? I think you should be That's poorly secured. That's what I secured. think, yeah. It's <laughs> a double a negative, double negative yep. <laughs> Well, you know, in Russian, double negative actually enforces the negative. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they might be vulnerable to brute force attacks, allowing threat actors to try out many potential username password combinations until a match is found. OnLab Security Emergency Response Center uh, recently discovered a campaign of this type which hacked Linux servers to launch DDoS attacks and mine Monero cryptocurrency. Apparently the uh, cryptocurrency of organized gangs. I mean, anyway. Uh, the attackers uh, scanned the internet for publicly exposed Linux SSH servers and then brute forced username password pairs to log into the server. Once they established a foothold on the endpoint as an admin user, they ran the following command to fetch and execute a collection of malware via bash script. The resource cent response center ob observed that intruders uh, also generated a new pair of public and private SSH keys for the breach server to maintain access even if the user password was changed. The malware downloaded onto compromised hosts including DDoS botnets, lock cleaners, cryptocurrency miners and privilege escalation tools. Starting with Shellbot, the Perl-based DDoS bot utilizes the IRC protocol for communication. It supports port scanning, UDP, TCP, and HTTP flood attacks, and can also set up a reverse shell. The other DDoS botnet malware seen in these attacks is Tsunami, which also uses the IRC protocol for communication. The particular version seen by the response center is Ziggy, a Kitan variant. Tsunami uh, perceives persists between reboots by writing itself on the etc slash rc.local uses typical system process names to hide. Besides SYN, ACK, UDP, and random flood DDoS attacks, Tsunami also supports an extensive set of remote control commands, including shell command execution, reverse shells, collecting information, updating itself, and downloading additional payloads from an external source. Next on is the uh, MIG Lock Cleaner and Shadow Lock Cleaner, both tools used for wiping the evidence of intrusion on compromised computers, making it less likely for vi victims to realize the infection quickly. These tools support specific command arguments that enable the operators to delete logs, modify existing logs, or add new logs to the system. The privilege escalation malware used in this, uh, these attacks is an ELF. No, that's not Santa's little helpers, but an executable and linkable format file that raises the attacker's privileges to that of a root user. Finally, the threat actors activate an XM rig coin miner to hijack the server's computational resources to mine Monero on a specific specified pool. To defend against these attacks, Linux users should use strong account passwords or for better security, require SSH keys to log into an SSH server. Additionally, 
you can disable root login through SSH, limit the range of IP addresses permitted to access the server, and change the default SSH port to something atypical that automated bots and infection scripts will miss. Yes, I actually do end up talking about changing the uh, default SSH port, which is, you know, um, security through obscurity, but it, every little bit helps. I also want to mention that, you know, something as simple as um, fail to ban will handle something like this. I mean... They're talking about brute forcing the username and password. All you really need is for them to lose the ability to do that and get blocked after X number of attempts. So should we be worried about this? Um, well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, not a lot of people take the time to uh, change their port. So if you're using port 22, um, fix that. I mean, it's something that you can do at the router level just by forwarding a different port to port 22 internally. It's also how you get uh, um, <clears throat> multiple computers with SSH access. But, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I usually set up uh, fail to ban on most of my systems. And, yeah, it's simple security. Yeah, a bit of security 101 really, isn't it? Cool. All right, then. So we are now off on to the wanderings. So we have bi-weekly wanderings, uh, which in Joe's case is basically going to be monthly wanderings. Yeah, it's been about four weeks, but I, I think I'm only covering like two weeks here. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want me to cover the other two weeks. No, I'm kidding. All right. Um, in case y'all didn't miss me, I, I was not able to make the last show or the off-week show, but I'm here now. Um, I, I have uh, taken over this episode of Mintcast, and I'll be bringing you some of that old command line love. Um, I spent a week in Florida hanging out with uh, several members of my family. A, a lot of the fun that happened there is also the idea behind this week's show, so I may cut my bi-weekly a little bit short. Uh, my grandma needed a new computer, and I was asked to give my opinion on what she should get and, and use hardware-wise. She is probably one of those people that a Chromebook would be perfect for, as she checks her mail, pays her bills, and plays a few simple games. However, she is used to the workflow with Windows, so prefers to stick with that operating system. Uh, for a long time now, every time there is an issue with her computer, one of my relatives will um, call me because if you work with batch scripting in Linux, you must be a desktop expert. Um, my suggestion in the end was a Nook, which went over very well when they saw how small it was. I uh, made sure to you know order one from Amazon that had the RAM and the SSD included, as it was um, her old spinning disk on the other one, uh, on the other computer that was causing the main issues. Um, we also needed an easy way to transfer all of her bookmarks and her history to the new computer with minimal fuss. She is a Chrome user, so that was pre pretty easy to make sure that she was logged in and sync was turned on. I am aware of how insecure that is, but uh, most of the people that I'm going to be working with when helping are non-technical. Um, but she was able to get up and running again in a very short amount of time using this method. The most difficult part of it was uh, getting the settings for Thunderbird correct. Yes, my 85-year-old 85, 85 grandma uses Thunderbird as her email client. 
Um, oh, and Bill would love this. Bill yeah. would love that. Well, it's mostly because uh, my, my grandpa, um, he passed away last year. He was a Lutheran minister for most of his life. But before that, he was actually a computer expert. So he, he, he was, you know, one of the people that actually helped me get into computers and computers and learning IRC and uh, programming on his um, old Atari and BASIC. But he, he's the one that originally set up her email. So I had to go in and find all the settings and, and get that working correctly. Now, also while on vacation, I got handed an old laptop. That was my grandpa's that he used for church before he passed away. It was a Lenovo G570 with an old Pentium processor in it. I think it scores like 850 on Passmark or something. Uh, the screen is still pretty nice, and I'm happy to say that it easily installed Mint and worked very well as a thin client to access my home server, so long as the internet connection was good. Now, I was using many different remote access tools, but I'm going to try to save all those for the innards. Joe? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at a G570. It, it doesn't have a nipple on it. Oh, I don't think, it, why, why, okay, you're right, it doesn't. That's, a, it, it's such an old machine that they didn't even put a nipple on it. Goodness. Yeah, it's it's extremely old. Like I said, it's just an old Pentium processor. I thought they had those back with the old IBMs and Lenovo they, just kept they them. They did, they did, but uh, uh, I don't know why this one didn't. Hmm, that's weird. Now, um, while I was in Florida, I tried to stick to using either my One GX or my Venue 11. I did bring my gaming laptop and I did bring my work laptop, um, but the, the One GX and the Venue 11 are both smaller devices. And I, I did that because I wanted to stay away from vice, devices that I would normally use to log in to work. Um, I'm happy to say that it was pretty easy to do and I had a lot of fun doing it. I used the One GX a lot to reread a large portion of one of my favorite comic series. Uh, which is Spider-Man 2099, which actually came out in 1999. Um, the larger screen on the Venue 11 was really good for accessing my home server, acting like a thin client. Um, I do want to mention that the uh, audio bookshelf function that allows you to download whole books is very useful when you know you are going to have terrible internet connections. And I used it for a bunch of books. Um, I was able to get through a 32 book series. I think I only had like four left when I came back home. Uh, took me a little bit longer after I got home to finish it up. But uh, yeah, I'm all caught up on that series. That's the Alistair Stone Chronicles. Of course, Joe listens at 17x. Oh, no. Um, I, I, I slowed it down to three and a half. Um, I was able to also get some soldering in, fixing a couple of headsets, uh, that I had handy. Uh, I actually brought them specifically so that, you know, if I got bored, I'd have something to work on. It was not as easy as it could have been because I forgot to include flux in my travel solder kit. Um, I will be getting a pr proper travel solder kit set up and probably have the case 3d printed in the near future. But um, I will also need to order some new fine tips for the device um, that I have in the meantime. And that's the, um, what, the, the pine sill. Okay, uh, that being said, I was able to fix a couple of the modded LG headsets that I have. And I was able to redo the hinges on two sets of Skull Candy Crushers. Listener Dustin, let me know if you still need some more hinges printed while I'm all set up for it. Um, now, as you can imagine, I was pretty limited on what I could bring with me for exercise equipment. So all I ended up bringing with me was uh, one small bag full of bands and some 3D printed parts. 
some push-up handles and some grips that I have started using for the bands that prevent bruising to my hands. Uh, they're the same ones that could be printed for like carrying grocery bags. Uh, I tried out a couple of different designs and the simple ones are the best. I think that I'm also going to be able to use them in conjunction with some 550 cord in order to make some uh, versatile handles for some of my weights at home. Um, but I, I did get to go to Planet Fitness once with uh, my 16-year-old nephew while I was there. And, and he did actually very well at the gym and reminded me that I am an old man. And yes, I have old man strength. Uh, I also designed and 3D printed something that I have seen sold commercially, but uh, I like the price, um, you know, better making it myself. Um, I've mentioned here before that I've printed many different headphone holders and clamps with different levels of utility, usually like pulled straight from Thingiverse and maybe with some mild redesigns. Uh, one of them was a phone clamp that used a bolt to make a, a adjustable right here and I redesigned to also make it mountable from the rear but it was not easily adjustable from landscape to portrait so I made an assembly to do that and I'm also using it with a couple of the others that I've gotten over the years as the design is fairly simple and versatile. I'm very happy with how it turned out. After I uh, remodded the clamp and put it all together um, I had actually modded it a little bit further after uh, I did the, the notes and then printed it again. So now I can put the bolt assembly in there with um, having it recessed. And then in the back, I have this little knob here that controls the tension so that I can go from portrait to landscape mode. And then just the mount is down here with the heat set insert. So I, I designed this really simple portion in the back and then designed the recess and uh, added the, uh, the tension knob in the back. Okay. Um, I also, something, another, another simple thing that I printed out was a new flap cover for my mini fridge for the freezer portion, uh, in order to prevent some icing. Like, like I said, very simple design, but definitely high functionality. Um, before the, uh, the broken one, um, because it, wasn't there just like my whole little mini freezer portion would ice over completely now um also at home trying out some new gym equipment um well not really equipment uh but i put some anchors into the floor of my garage so that i could add some more pulleys to the floor and also have a um, anchor set up so that when i'm doing heavy pull downs i, I don't just you know pull myself up into the air um, putting in the anchors was something extremely new for me. I messed up the first two times before I got the technique right. And I had to get out the Dremel and, uh, cut the mistakes out and, uh, fill in around them. But I did finally get two of them set in the correct positions. Moss, can you hold off on that for a few minutes? Um, now hopefully the anchors don't cause too many stub toes and I will, will have to remove them. Uh, when we sell the house, but the, the procedure is the same rotary tool to cut them down and fill in with some quick, quick, quick crete around the edges. And <clears throat> now back to stuff I did while I was in Florida, I got my son set up with a Wi-Fi phone using Google voice. Um, I tried some of the tutorials that I had found previously online to set it up without having another phone, but sadly those did not work. By that I mean using an application that generates a temporary phone number for free and using that to do the setup, it never worked for me. 
Um, but my dad was never going to use his phone to set up a Google Voice number, so that is the one that uh, Jojo ended up using. Uh, from there, we just control where it rings out to, and all is good. I got him in contact with some of his friends back here, and everything is right with the world. Surprising that a lot of the younger people that I talk to are using simple phone-to-phone -phone text messages for most of their conversations, as opposed to like some kind of chat app, or Discord, or WhatsApp, or anything like that. Um, also did end up getting Jojo set up on Discord so that he could talk to his siblings while he's in Florida, got him added to the family chats. Um, I guess eventually I'm actually going to need him to get on an actual phone plan and probably, uh, do one of the, the Adelines where you get a, a, a free phone. Um, also, uh, Jojo got a mini bike from his grandpa. His grandpa just went out and bought him a mini bike. Didn't talk to anybody, got it, brought it back, and yeah, um, I, I had a lot of fun riding it. Uh, but now, you know, uh, it will be staying in Florida because there is absolutely no place around here that it is legal to ride a mini bike. And really, that, that's all I've been up to. So, um, you guys are lucky because you've got Google Voice. We don't have that in the UK. Well, well, I've had it for a long time, but I don't ever use it. Nobody has ever called me on my Google Voice number. That, 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 that's what a VPN is for. Well, you would also need a, a touchstone phone that's in the, in the U.S. for, you know, five minutes while you're pointing things in the right direction. But I don't see why you couldn't set it up over there. Yeah, I, it's just one of these things that, you know, you try and download it, uh, the app or whatever, and it's like Google Voice is not available in your country. And um, I have had Google Voice since it was like early beta. I mean, it sound. I mean, to be fair, it's less of an issue now because now the kids have got older enough that I am actually just getting them phone plans and stuff like that anyway. But I remember thinking that it would be, it would have been good earlier on. Anyway, uh, Moss, what about yourself? What about me? Oh, I'm here. Oh, um. Well, my concert at Festival of the Living Rooms number 18 went extremely well. A bit of jitters on my part. I have a recording of everything I did Sunday, but I didn't capture audio from my Friday night efforts. What I have is on my Bandcamp page with links in the show notes. A link in the show notes. I installed Debian Bullseye on my T540P. Thanks to flat packs, I have no problem with software. I thought it was odd that I needed to install GW in order to get free Office installed, but that's easy. And then it messed up my init RAMFS, which after several attempts at fixing, resulted in me doing a complete reinstall. The results of that will be heard on the very next Distro Hoppers Digest. And what's really odd is that Dale is going to be reviewing Debian 12, only with Cinnamon Desktop. I'm doing Mate, I think I forgot to say that. We're having a thunderstorm right now, and I've lost my Xfinity connection a few times already, so if I disappear, you know what happened. It's already happened twice during this episode, and yeah. nobody even noticed. Well, it's because we are we did notice. It's just that we're consummate professionals, and, you know, the show must go... Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, you know, in my case, it's British stiff upper lip as well, you know. You, you've been eating professionals? uh Oh, consummate consuming. Uh, okay. Well, okay. That, that's All it right. for me. Fine. Majid, you take it. I was, was the word a bit too big enough, big for you, was it, Moss? I don't know much. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, my bi weekly wanderings. Um, 
My compulsive buying of technology continues after having sold that old MacBook Pro for a profit, I might add. Um, I saw an M1 MacBook Air on sale for less than 600 bucks, so I took the plunge on it. Mac OS isn't my cup of tea, but it, at least it's usable as a computer. Far more than iOS on the iPad is, you know, iPad OS is not a desktop replacement, whatever Apple uh, wants us to believe. It just isn't. I'm sorry. Now, yes, as I said, Mac OS isn't my cup of tea, but the battery life on this thing is insane. Um, it's like a phone or a tablet rather than a laptop in the behavior that you have when it comes to charging and using it. I'm one of these guys that um, that I uh, what I basically do is that I use my computer for multiple short periods on the computer during the day uh, rather than, you know, being on it for five, six, eight hours in a row. I'm talking about like office work, answering emails. Um, I feel a little attacked by that statement. You'll get over it, Joe. No, I suppose it just shows how much of a noob I am, really. Um, but yeah, so I just a bit of office work, casual use, that kind of thing. And I'm never really on it for more than an hour at a time because there's very few things that I do that I need to. Um, so with that kind of use, the battery has lasted all week. I mean, that's just nuts. Um, and I think for that kind of use case, you know, work, presentations, emails, I think I'm going to keep it. Um, I'm not going to do anything else on it. Um, if I actually want to do anything interesting, tinkering, you know, routing my phone or video editing or whatever, I'll, I'll use my Linux boxes. So, um, and obviously it doesn't have a touch screen. So if I did want to do anything touch related, like taking notes and whatever, I'm not going to be using it for that. But um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've not, I can understand now when, because when the reviews came out, I remember when the reviews came out, you know, a lot of people were saying, look, we're not being, um, it's not hyperbole. We're not just saying it for the sake of it, but really the battery life on this thing is crazy. And I still kind of had a bit of kind of really, is it really? I mean, is it really? It is. You know, it's not something I like saying. It's making me feel dirty just saying it. But I mean, you know, um, yeah, Apple got this one right. I'll tell you that for a start. Um, now, when it comes to uh, other laptops with that kind of battery life, I was listening to the Linux Matters uh, podcast and Martin Wimpress on that says that he bought a ThinkPad uh, Z1 with an AMD uh, Ryzen, oh, I want to say 6,000, but it might be 7,000. I can't remember. And that apparently has similar battery life. You know, he's getting 20, 22 hours um, on it. Um, but that's over two, you know, that's over two grand. Um, so, um yeah, probably not something I can go for. Um, I've already tried uh, Ubuntu in a VM on it, um, and uh, it works. Um, you have to install the server image, and then you install the desktop from that. There isn't a desktop image. Um, it's a work in progress. Uh, in more compulsive buying, um, I found a good offer on some Sony uh, WFXM4s. I think the XM5s are around the corner. Um, and so you, places like Amazon and other places have started putting sales on it. Um, I got a hundred bucks off, um, which, you know, so 
for that price, I thought, well, I've got to try it out. And um, it's one of the, again one of these things that comes up on multiple uh, websites, you know, uh, guides and stuff like that. You know, what are the best Air True Wireless earbuds and all that sort of thing. And um, they are good. They're not perfect, uh, but with a few EQ setting changes. Now that I know a little bit about that, uh, and with the ANC on, really enjoyed it. Actually, I really, I really enjoy using them. I wouldn't have spent the full price on them, but for how much I paid, I think it's fair enough. I think it's fair enough. Um, in our last episode, we talked about Ferron OS. Um, so I've downloaded that and tried it out. It looks good. Um, I'm not a fan of the Windows 11 vibe that it has, but it's KDE, so you can change it pretty easily. Um, I'm actually thinking I might I will put point it on out that my, yes, um, it does sort of mimic box, the Windows 11 vibe, vibe, but most uh, people apparently being. wanted that. Um, and the... Uh, presets that it has for KDE using that vibe are much saner than what you can find on other distros. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I, I actually was one of the people that thought that Windows 10 was up, was fine. 2000 Pro? Why they, decided, they just changed it because they had to change it. No, I'm not going to go that far. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm one of the weirdos that didn't mind Windows 8. Emmy. Oh god, that was that was a that was a dumpster fire, wasn't it? Flipping heck. Uh, Vista. Um, it's sort of like Star Trek movies. At least Vista you know, every nice. other one is really sucky, you know. For two thousand seven. <laughs> I I liked eight before it became eight point one. Yeah, I actually quite liked their um their touch style. I actually, I remember I used to have this um I had a HP all in one. Uh, which I kept, which I used to keep in. So in our old house, we had like a kitchen dining room together, and I, I used to put it in there so that my theory was that my wife can then you know watch something on it as if she wants to, and other times the kids can come on it and whatever. And because it was a big, massive touchscreen, you know, twenty-seven inch touchscreen with Windows well, at- eight, it was fantastic. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I, I reckon that I reckon they should. I think the only problem with it was that the the suddenness. Because the vast majority of people who use Windows aren't techies, they're normies, inverted commas, or enterprise. And so it was just too big a change um, for uh, for them to manage, I think. Um, which is why they rolled it back with 8.1 and then rolled it back again with 10. Although 10 did have a tablet mode. Yeah, I, I had have a tablet, the... you could press it and, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I actually well, thought it wasn't too bad. Personally. Developers spent a lot of time taking eight and turning it back into either seven or XP with like um what was it Windows Startup which gave yeah, you oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. start oh, button there back. Was so many, there were so many different ones. I mean, even the companies selling the laptops like Samsung, they had their own start menu uh, type thing. I remember it's actually Samsung even had a dock because they were trying oh. to mimic Apple. Um, well, at, at the time so, of Windows uh, 8, I had uh, yeah, Asus uh, EBC this is not Windows PE, cast, but anyway. <laughs> and uh, other than the fact that it was ugly, uh, Metro is an ugly operating system, um, it, it worked. I mean, it would have worked a lot better if I had a touchscreen on it, but that's the way things go. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, isn't it? In those days, a touchscreen was not as ubiquitous on laptops as it is now you know it's um there's all sorts of different well it's still uh, at least a hundred dollars for a touchscreen on a huge combinations that you can get nowadays um, um, i, I know i lucked out when i got my t580 
Uh, apparently the guy that sold it to mm. me did not know that it had the screen replaced and it had a touch screen. Oh, all right. Cool. Um, anyway, um, it was my son's birthday a few weeks ago, so he's a good lad. I bought him a PlayStation 5 as a present. I'm not a gamer, mainly because I'm terrible uh, at them. Uh, but even I can tell this is a real step up from the previous generation. And if nothing else, it doesn't sound as loud as a jet engine, which is what the PlayStation 4 did. Yeah, yeah. It, but between the, the PlayStation 5 and the, the new Xbox, I mean, they might as well just be, you know, selling PCs. Oh, yeah, entirely. Entirely. They are, they are just basically, you know, uh, set-top boxes, really. That's what they are. Um, and... But, and I'm not. I'm not. It's not an issue for me. I don't think if if it, you know uh, if it means that making games is easy. I remember that when the PlayStation Three came out, it was actually quite difficult for developers to get their hand around the architecture. If I'm if I remember correctly, and an Xbox is basically just a Windows box, really. Um, and as I said I've not got any issue with that. Um, I mean, and- I'd I'd be better with it if they you know yes sell the console because like, I understand some people like that whole prepackaged thing. But if you're making these games that are going to be essentially Windows compatible, but then not release, you know, a way to play them on Windows without also owning an Xbox. So you want them to voluntarily sell less things so they make less No, money. I want them to sell more <laughs> things because I want them to also sell it um, to people that just own Windows. Hmm. At the end of the day, I think the piece, if you were to add it all together, I still, okay, I might be wrong on this, but I, I still feel that console gaming, just by numbers, is still going to be um, higher than PC gamers. Um, partly because of the outlay. Uh, you know, if you want to, uh, my son at one point did think about, you know, building a, a gaming rig. And the amount of money that was going into that, it was like, no, I, I'm not doing that. I'm not paying for that, mate. Sorry. Well, it, it, until recently, the, the price of a graphics card just made it completely insane to try and build yeah. your own uh, uh, gaming rig at home. And that's been for a couple of years now. So that, that, that is improving, though. So hopefully in the next, like, two, three years, the graphics card prices come down enough that you can build your own system again without, you know, working all year just for the graphics card. Yeah. Uh, work is busy. Uh, I mean, when isn't the hospital busy? But um, there's a lot. Uh, we, we're having more strikes by the junior doctors. I do kind of... Each of these strikes, there's less and less in people actually being on strike because now, obviously, you're not paid when you're on strike. So now it's starting to hurt. Um, and you know, with the next one, if they do the next one, as they have said, this will mean that in total, they would have, uh, striked for four weeks. That's basically a month's pay over a six month period that, you know, people are giving up and not everybody can do that. Um, if anybody's been following the, uh, economic and political situation in the UK, um, our Bank of England has been putting up interest rates um, and we've now hit 6%. Um, it's going to really affect the housing market. Mortgages are going to get... I looked at my mortgage. My mortgage is going to go up by £400 a month um, when I get off you, my fixed rate. Okay, okay. That's what I was going to ask. Because ours is... We, we usually get a fixed rate for the, the lifetime of the loan, so it's completely dependent on when you get the loan. 
so with uh, uh most of the time here uh, you can you can you can have a variable um but most people have get fixed rate uh, and you get that fixed rate fixed for two five and in some rare cases you can get it for 10 but for most people it's two and five and so i i i remember my uh, one of my relatives he decided to get it fixed for five years uh he looks you know he looks like he was the clever one now i just got mine fixed for two years and so mine is only at about two and a half percent but um at the end of this year it will be coming off renewal and now you know it's probably it's going to be more than six um and so i'm a little bit i'm a bit apprehensive as it's going to work out and i'm on a good wage i'm like i'm not going to complain man i mean i'm on a good wage i'm a decent amount of money i've got a lifestyle that most people in this country do not have but i'm feeling it and so if i'm feeling it uh what are people who i mean I'm, I, I'm, going, I'm going to go off on a political rant here again. I'm sorry, but I cannot believe <laughs> that the UK of all places has food banks and that nursing staff have to use food banks regularly. We actually have a food bank in our hospital for the staff. Uh, and I'm it, just like, this is ridiculous. It's only mildly better here. And that, that that's not saying much when it, and that's just, you know, talking about interest rates in general have not increased as much here as they have there. I think we increased by like 4.6% while you guys create increased by six point something percent. Yeah. But uh, no, My- when a guy is making six figures and still living paycheck to paycheck, just because you know interest rates have gone up um and food costs ha- have gone up yeah. it's it's really kind of pathetic yeah i mean our inflation rate here is what 8.7 uh and which is the highest in any of the other kind of major economies um but i think uh, uh moss is gesturing me to stop talking about politics and get back to my bi-weekly uh no i was trying to butt in a number of <laughs> oh, times but in, but in please <laughs> please get in please butt in please. the the amount that your mortgage has gone up is very similar to what i pay for monthly rent rent here is astronomical <laughs> there was a study that rent should... here is astronomical i just got uh, out of the way place that nobody knew about. So yeah, I mean, uh, there's a <laughs> there was actually a thing saying that um, in London, thirty percent of people's salaries goes in just rent. Um, so uh, that, well, that's the way it should be. Thirty percent. The way it actually is is fifty, sixty, sixty five percent. No, it's recommended that you only spend thirty percent of your income on housing. The problem is, is that but you housing can't. increases over the last like decade, however long, um, ha- has pushed it. You just yeah. can't unless you have a two income Wages household. Have not yeah, gone unless up. you have a two income household, you're paying like fifty percent or more of your income just towards housing. Yeah. Yeah um so yeah so uh yeah so you, the the strikes are getting slightly uh fewer in this as in the number of people actually going on strike because of the the monetary impact it's starting to have i i have a bad feeling but they're not going to get anywhere uh which is really bad but so apparently us as consultants may well be going on strike in july um if that happens, the entire health system is just going to stop because you you can't function a health service without the attending physician. It's just, you can't do it, you know. Um, 
Anywho, so uh, the the hospitals got have got big plans on bringing waiting lists down, and so there's lots of extra work around, which is admittedly paid well, but I think I haven't sorted it out very well. I'm working like six days on, and then taking a day off, and then another six days on. I don't think I've really planned it very well. It's only so many days I can work. I don't want to burn out as well, you know, which um, is something that a couple of my friends have done. You know, they've. Uh, uh, they see the money and they see the issues and they just do all the extras and then before you know it one day you know they're like i haven't had a day off in six months like it's not healthy it's not psychologically healthy for you um the muslim festival of eid is coming up this week yes there's two of them in a year just in case you're wondering didn't i speak about it a couple of months uh, weeks ago uh muggins here on uh stupidly forgot to take the day off work um, until I've realised too late and then there was too many people off so uh, I'm going to be at work on Eid which is a bit weird um, it's my own they need more Christians working there I guess it's no I mean the, because so the only holidays like only religious holidays you get in this country are Christian holidays um, most employers are reasonable when it comes to other religion holidays and as long as you apply for it as like leave you know annual leave or special leave or whatever they'll be fine with it but as i was saying because of all the strikes and things like that that are happening you know there's only so many people that can be off at any one time and yeah um, i'll just no, be too late to the party on that one believe me here we only get christian holidays now while i was in the military um they did make some exceptions for some people for some religions on what days that they would be also given off but those people were also the people that got earmarked to work all of the Christian holidays. Yeah, I mean, I actually generally, even though I don't have to, I do generally offer to work the Christian holidays. I actually, because I, I, I'm not celebrating it, but if I can help someone else by them not working and I'm working on it, I think that's fair enough. You know, I um, just, you know, my bit for community cohesion, I suppose. Speaking of things which are my own fault, I almost burned down my house. Uh, don't smoke, lit children. Don't smoke. It's not good for you in any way. Thankfully, nothing major happened. And importantly, everybody's fine. I just feel really, really, really stupid. Um, I've been doing a bit of research on uh, online about these kind of fintech online banks, online money services, things like Revolut, Starling. Um, I mean, I've got a couple of these, um, which I use mainly for travel and exchanging when I'm going abroad. But um, I found that, for example, Starling do a free business account, which comes in handy for my limited company. Um, and then, you know, there's a couple of other, you know, good ones out there. It did make me wonder as to how, how they're making money. I don't exactly, I know how Revolut are making money. I'm not entirely sure how Starling are making money. I'm not entirely sure how something like some of the lenders like Klarna and things, I'm not entirely sure how they're making money or if they're making any money at all. And it's just all speculation and, you know, their values, valuation is due to the potential of earning rather than actual earning. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's fine because it, you know, I'm um, benefiting from it. But yeah. This sounds too much like work for me to talk about it. Okay, that's fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we are going to be cat sitting. Uh, my daughter has been going on about having a cat. Actually, my wife has been going on about having a cat since we got married. 
and it's our 20th anniversary soon. Um, and I've resisted. Um, and my daughter has been on about it for about two years and I've resisted. And then recently, uh, one of my uh, wife's friends was going somewhere and they said, can you look after our cats? And we said, okay, yeah, we'll look after them for a couple of days. I quite liked it, actually. It's quite nice having cats around. It's good fun. Um, and so, uh, anyway, they're going away again. And so they wanted us to have the cats for a good couple of weeks, I think, this time, about maybe four or five weeks. Um so I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to that, but I don't know about the kind of I mean, can you leave them in the house empty when you go out? I don't, I don't how does it work? I mean, people have other people who have cats. Let me know. Yeah, it's actually you know cats mostly take care of themselves. Leave them a clean litter box and make sure they have food. And they're quite happy to sun themselves. Yeah. Well, hopefully that works out all right then. My boys uh, really want to go on holiday this summer. Um, one of them is, I uh, just finished his first year at uni. Second one has finished his GCSEs, which are the main exams at 16. So they've both got long summer holidays, you know, three months. Um, and so they really want to go somewhere. Um, obviously I've been talking about how money is an issue. So I'm just thinking of places which are cheap to get to. Um, so I was looking at places like Morocco or maybe Spain, places like that, relatively cheap. Um, I suppose whether I'll have any money after buying all this tech also is a, another moot point. Um, I suppose we'll find out. I, I'd really like to go to Morocco, actually. I've heard a lot about the place. I know I have some friends who are from there. Sounds like it. Every time I talk about it, it sounds like a really nice place to visit. Um, so, yeah, go do the, tra- do the touristy trail in Marrakesh and Casablanca. This is in this way, you know. You guys in the states are lucky in that you know your your country is basically a continent, right? And so, you know, you can just stay within the country and see, you know, all different, almost every single climate you get in the world. Really, you know, a desert or a snowscape or a mountain or a tropical or temperate, whatever. Um, well, really, only about one third of a continent, but that's okay. No, but we yeah, do get fine. the whole gamut of you know like terrains and, and weather. That is true. But you'll find that most people, like a large significant amount of people in the U.S., rarely ever go like more than 50 miles from the place that they were born. I mean, that's just true of everybody in general, though, isn't it? Most people, most of humanity is like that. You know, um, the, uh, you know, yeah, you don't really travel for you know something really big or, as I said, tourism, you know. Um, Anywho, so that's my bi-weeklies, housekeeping and announcements. Thank you, fine folks, for listening to this episode of Mincast. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us an email at mincast at mincast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mincast subreddit. Chat with us directly on Telegram and Discord. Or post directly to uh, HTTPS, mincast.org. Our next episode will be at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, July 9th. 2023 and there's a link to get that converted to your time zone in the show notes next roundtable stream 2 p.m u.s central time saturday the 1st of july and you can get that converted to your time zone via a link in the show notes the next roundtable live stream 2 p.m u.s central time on saturday july the 15th 2023 and there's a link to get that converted to your time zone in the show notes
The live stream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. So wrapping up, Joe. Well, um, if you like the sound of my voice, I'm on a couple other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show. That's T-L-L-T-S dot org. Um, they could use some more hosts if you guys want to join there. Um, I'm also on Linux Lugcast, which is linuxlugcast.com. You can send me an email directly, jb at mincast.org, or buy me a coffee on Kofi. Boss? Well, you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News, uh, every four to five weeks on Hopper's Digest. I, my email is bardmoss at pm.me. I'm on Mastodon as at zyvola at hosttux.social. And my other contact information can be found at itsmoss.com. Bill, if he was here, would tell us that he's available at bill at mincast.org, that he's bill underscore h on Discord, that he's at wchauser3 at fosterdon.org on Mastodon, at wchauser3 on Twitter, and wchauser3 on Facebook also, and he's also on Linux OTC and the Three Factors podcasts. He is doing some important stuff this weekend that is celebrating his anniversary. Myself? His 25th anniversary. That's a big one. Was it 25? All right. That's what I remember him saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. Congratulations, Bill. You'd probably get less for a murder charge. But anyway, um, <laughs> so if you really want to uh, listen to my voice or do, uh, get in contact with me, I'm Dr. Majid at Minkast.org. I'm at Atypical Doctor on Twitter. Atypical Anesthetist on Instagram and the Atypical Anesthetist podcast on Spotify, which um, has been a little bit of a hiatus, but I am hoping to get back into it. Links for all of those are in the show notes. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mincast possible. It's probably going to be Joe doing our audio editing this time, isn't it? All right. It'll okay. be Bill. Well, somebody will be doing the audio, uh, audio editing. Uh, we thank archive.org for hosting our audio files, Hubstar for our logo, Initadi for the animated Discord logo, Londoner for our time sinks and finding some very interesting articles, Bill for hosting the server which runs our website, website maintenance, and the next cloud server on which we host our show notes and raw audio. And finally, and most importantly, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Thanks Clem. Clem. Thanks, Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mint.